All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I'm your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, we've got a real treat. We've got Elliot, who is the co-founder of Summit Group, whose family of organizations includes Powder Mountain, Summit Series, Summit Junto, and Summit Impact, along with his co-founders, Elliot just published their first book, Make No Small Plans, Lessons on Thinking Big, Chasing Dreams, and Building Community. Man, I reached out, I reached out to Elliot because this book was one of those, I don't listen to a ton of audiobooks, but for whatever reason, I picked up this one and I was done in like two and a half days. So damn good. Welcome to the show. I love it. Thank you. Here we go. I'm excited to chat. It, uh, there's just so many places that we could start. There's so many stories, you know, past, current, and, and I'm sure ongoing right now. Um, but just to, to stay with the flavor of this show, I'll, I'll open it up with the same question everyone gets. And that's just, if you put away your work titles, everything, uh, like that aside, who are you? You know, what defines you? Oh my gosh. I'm a full of energy, eccentric, a fun-loving, make-the-most-of-every-day kind of person. So I have a a three-and-a-half-year-old, and from the moment he wakes up every day, da-da, da-da, mama, you know, uh, I jump out of bed, and I'm just go, go, go. And I just feel very lucky in general to be alive and to be able to do all the fun things and exciting and good things there are to do in the world. And I kind of approach everything with uh, the mindset that this is going to be really fun. Like that, that's like the main theme of my life is I always saw the uh, Forbes 400 list and thought it was really strange and kind of disgusting that there was a list of people ranked on one thing, how much (laughs) money they had. And I always thought I want to be, on the Forbes 400 list of fun. Yes. The fun I love list. It. And I think I try, you know, just to bring fun and humor in my life. And so, you know, that's also our brand, you know, uh, the summit brand, right? We put on, you know, surreal, epic, exciting events. We, you know, try to build community. Powder Mountain, the ski resort is all about, you know, living your best day, whether you're just learning to ski or, you know, you're hitting you know, your favorite runs you've been skiing for 30 years. Um, so that's me. And I have like 50 hobbies and <laughs> I'm, I'm into a lot of things. And, and frankly, anything new can get me extremely excited. I love it. Well, let's talk about new. I mean, three, three, three-year-old. I mean, I've, I have a six-month-old and a six-year-old. So I totally understand or resonate with, with young uh, people with young children I'm just curious, like what, you know, being, being a dad and having a three-year-old, like what's surprised you so far about that, about that journey? Well, when, when the kid is really young, like a baby, uh, I (laughs) realized one day that all the principles you might try to learn from the Buddha or the Dalai Lama or some (laughs) spiritual advisor, uh, like to be present and have joy in your soul and look people, you know, you know, deeply into their eyes and to have no judgment. Like when you first have a baby, I realized one day like, oh my gosh, like the baby is 
like way more dialed in than the Buddha or yes. the Dalai Lama. Like this is it. <laughs> this is I am meeting God. You're meeting uh, presence. <laughs> that was that was my you know realization as a baby, and then you know as the personality develops, they have things that they get into, and I think like just where I am right now, it's it's become so apparent our ability to nurture and shape their lives. And yeah. that the time we put in really, really matters. And without those things, um, they they just may not have any uh, realization of what animals are or nature. Or like I'll get a, a friend will say, you should really teach your kid the ABC song. We thought, oh my gosh, like we never, hadn't done that. And then like two days later, they know the song. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or uh, you should teach them how to swim or, oh my gosh, you know, we hadn't done, whatever the things are. So um yeah. And look, it just teaches like the ultimate patience, like your entire life is in service to someone else mm-hmm. and you get to see the world through their eyes. And, and I'll just say, lastly, it's the ultimate test of what else you're doing in the world, because since you now always have the greatest possible experience waiting for you at home, anything you do has to be comparable to that. So mm-hmm. I think a lot of the time wasting things and a lot of things that are not important fall to the wayside when you're as like, really? Like I did that boring meeting or went to that windowless conference room or yeah. flew to this faraway place. Like, and I could have been home with the kid. And so it like totally reorients the priorities. That's fascinating because, you know, even if you, if you put that aside or that perspective aside, I mean, the one thing that there's so many things, but the one thing that really stands out to me is just like the work that you guys do, and especially your backstory, like everything is at times a thousand. I mean, let's buy a mountain. Let's, let's, I don't even, what's the terminology to rent a cruise ship? Like, is that, is, is that, do you lease the boat? Like, how does that even work? But I, I guess my point is like, everything is grandiose in a way. Right. And I mean, it, that's got to make for, uh, you know, prioritizing tasks and projects and like the next events and stuff like that, that to make at least you feel well that or feel good that, hey, if I'm not going to be at home with uh, my three-year-old, you know, spending time there, like I'm doing something pretty big that has a ripple effect uh, to, to help a lot of awesome humans, right? It's called chartering a ship. And, okay, uh, is that what it is? Okay. <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> if, if, uh, if anyone wants to start small, you know, you could charter a little boat for hire for uh, $95 maybe on your local lake. Um, <laughs> or, and I think that uh, pretty much any uh, venue or cruise ship is available for charter. And as it gets bigger, the charter gets more expensive. Um, so I think what you're referring to is our a- uh, annual event summit at sea which started in 2011 where we take over a cruise ship and get thousands of creatives and dreamers and entrepreneurs and you know artists and you know just you know excitable people together and then we we build our version of kind of a music content and arts festival so you can see music all night you can go to amazing content all day um and you just have this you know incredible, wild, surreal experience at sea. So 
that's one of Summit's best known annual events is yeah. uh, Summit at Sea. Which yeah, when You've we got started, another one right coming up next year. Did you, did you we have that? one in 2023, and yeah. uh, this year in 2022 we have Summit Palm Desert, where we take over uh, the La Quinta Hotel in Palm Springs. But we've been doing, you know, we've done hundreds of events, you know, over the years, and we've done events all over the world, from you know small events, you know, in the jungle in Costa Rica, to you know, events in our nation's capital, events in Kenya, you know, all, all, all over the place, Miami. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, we, we are, are, we're a community company. Like our favorite thing in the world is gathering kind entrepreneurial people and bringing them together. And I think the magic of the events is when the community starts to connect with each other, as well as, you know, then, you know, getting that inspiration in person from, engaging in content sessions like there's unlimited content online and there's something about coming together in person that can just it can really move you right it's like yeah. we love listening to music uh everyone loves listening to music at home but there's something there's a reason people go to a concert you know it's yeah. not either or they're not mutually exclusive you don't have to just go to concerts or just listen to music at home but there's a reason that you know a few times a year you know or half a dozen times a year you like to you get in person and feel the bass and be in that room and feel that energy to, you know, see your favorite bands. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, let's talk about how this all started because I mean, it definitely didn't start with you chartering a, a cruise ship. I mean, if I think back and this is like, I, I can, I almost remember this just to every level of detail in the car. We, I was driving with my wife and we had the two kids in the back and the audio book or you were just because you you're narrating the audiobook and describing that first event where your mom was helping you plan it out i think you arrived at the at the location with like a six pack of beer type thing and like wondering oh do we have granola bars or like it was it was it was hilarious and if ever, anyone listening i mean i don't normally go crazy trying to promote books so usually we just have you know you know conversation around and, and obviously the story will will lead people to the book if they want to go there. But this one, you have to go read the damn book or listen to the book because it's like one of those situations where you're either laughing your ass off or just <laughs> completely inspired to think bigger and then often both at the same time, which, I mean, there's just no downside to you experiencing what you guys put together. So, I mean, please share that, that opening story and, and basically how Summit began. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, what happened is that I had started a business with my dad. I was in my dorm room. This was his first entrepreneurial endeavor. Um, he had had a totally different career before that. And I had decided to drop out of college and move into my childhood bedroom and build this business. And I realized after a few months or six months that I actually, I did not know anything about business. I could sell. That's kind of, you know, pure through pure determination and, you know, grit by just waking up early. But I didn't know any sales tactics. I didn't know how to build a sales team. I certainly didn't know how to market. I did not have any design experience. I, I didn't know the first thing about finding office space or building company culture. And so it was through this realization that happened over, you know, a period of months that I realized wow, I'm really clueless. Like I have no idea what to do. I mean, I have this dream in front of me to build this business and I'm going to need to acquire some skills. Sure. 
And I decided to cold call people that I'd read about in, you know, Inc. Magazine or Entrepreneur Magazine, just like anyone else reads articles on startups. I decided to cold call them and not famous people, just, you know, other young folks with, with startups. And so I literally cold called, you know, Blake Mykoski, the founder of Tom Shoes and Ricky and Josh, who'd started, you know, College Humor and Vimeo. And I, I called called people like that. And I cold called someone who had created an, you know, um, an email newsletter uh, business and, you know, just, just interesting people. And I got, I, I pitched them, hey, I'm going to do, you know, our own version of a business conference and we'll get, you know, 20 people together. And I'm also an entrepreneur. Like I have a small business and, you know, we had a couple hundred thousand dollars in revenue and, you know, we're going to get together. We'll meet new folks. And I said, I think, I think we all feel like islands out there, like in the 10,000 islands, like we know there's other islands, but we can't see them. And maybe the event would be like, you know, climbing up 50 feet into a tree and being able to suddenly see the islands and actually connect because I'm totally isolated. And this was all in, you know, 2007, 2008, 2009. And there was this new entrepreneurial movement that Mm -hmm. was built on the back of the iPhone app store when suddenly anyone could build a business. Yeah. Right. And suddenly, as soon as that iPhone launched and the app store, like all these things were being revolutionized and, you know, the direct to consumer, the, you know, D to C revolution was happening where every, like today, all the products we use are these cool new things that came out, whether it's what you drink or how you clean your house, you know, whatever it is. Um, this was all new. This was like a brand new revolution. And so it's just, it was an explosion of startups and ideas and creativity. And none of these folks got invited to big events. I don't think they'd ever been to big events. And so I told them I'd cover the airfare and I would rent a house. And I started getting people saying yes. And then I didn't know how to rent a house. And there was certainly no Airbnb. I'd never been on a vacation outside of one that my mom planned. So I asked her to help me find a house. And then I, you know, I didn't have any money for the trip. So I, I thought, you know, I think I could get some sponsors. You, you know, if, if we're going to have folks who own businesses, maybe a real estate firm would want to sponsor it. And my friend Steve Berman, who had uh, worked at our high school um, and then now was a real estate broker, I reached out and he was uh, yeah, an associate broker at Jones Lang LaSalle. And I said, you could come on the trip and meet these folks and then maybe do their office space deals. And he got his firm to give us $10,000. And, you know, by the way, on the first trip, you know, like Sam Altman, who went on to run Y Combinator was on the trip. And then on the next trip, people like Tony Shea from Zappos, who, you know, these people had like hundreds of thousands of square feet of space, right? And I, I got a friend, Scott, who was at a venture fund. I'd only met him one time. I said, maybe you could come on the trip and then give us 10,000 bucks to cover the cost of the trip. And you could meet potential companies to invest in. So I built this trip of 20 really interesting startup founders. Nobody was particularly well-known at the time. Yeah. Why did they trust you though, Elliot? Like, why do you think they're like, okay, yeah, I'm just, we're going to, we don't normally go to these events, but here's, here's some guy where he's going to fly us out and we don't really know what we're in for. So what, what, what happened is that, I initially actually called a local group of people who were kind of entrepreneurial, but they knew me, okay. but they weren't, th- they worked in traditional jobs. 
And I pitched sure. them and they actually didn't trust me. And I called the person at the law firm and I called the person who worked at a, a office furniture business. And I called someone I knew who worked at, you know, AARP, the Association for the Advancement of Retired People. I think that's what AARP <laughs> stands for. Um, and I called someone at uh, like some insurance company. Um, and they said, literally, they said, why would I let you plan a trip with people I don't know? Like, you can barely sell me ads. Like, you think <laughs> I want to go on a trip? So I actually tried to call people I knew. Mm. And it was very interesting because I was met with total and utter rejection. I mean, one person I kept calling and calling and finally I reached them and I said, do you want to come? And they said, if I wanted to come, I would have taken your calls. You know, and someone else said, well, why don't we just get together in D.C.? And it's where I was living, Washington, uh, yeah. D.C. I said, that's not the point. Yeah. <laughs> we want to do this entrepreneur's trip. And they said, look, you can't barely sell ads. Like, if I want to do a trip, I'm going to go with people I know, and I'm going to let a professional plan it. So the answer is these people didn't trust me. But then this very interesting thing happened. And, you know, Summit was born really in the moment that I realized I needed a more outlandish list of names. Okay. I needed bigger names. I needed entrepreneurs. And when I called the first entrepreneurs, what happened is very obvious in retrospect. But even though these people were harder to reach, I never met them. And on the surface, they were running companies with five employees, 25 employees, some with 100. Here's the thing. They were entrepreneurial. They mm -hmm. took risks. So when they heard the random kid in DC calling and say, hey, I also have a business. I have five employees. I'm trying to meet other entrepreneurs. I'm doing this trip. They actually said things like, you know, even if the trip is a disaster, we have a friend who lives out in Utah and okay. his, their family has a house. So even in a worst case, Elliot, this bozo will fly us out for free. And we'll go hang at our friend's house. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you know, and in fact, one of them introduced us to their friend who ended up coming. Um, and so, you know, or Blake from Tom's Shoes, he thought, you know what? I love skiing. So, you know what? I'll get a free plane ticket out of it. Maybe I'll meet some interesting people. Maybe I won't like Elliot. Maybe I will. It doesn't really matter. But you know what? I respect him for trying to pull this off. And so they started saying Yes. Because they had kind of an entrepreneurial mindset. Like they asked themselves, what is the worst thing that could happen? Well, nothing. You just mm -hmm. get a free, literally the worst case is a free trip out, meet a couple interesting people and go check yourself into a hotel for a few days or stay at a friend's house. So they, yeah. they, they said yes. And my mom, like I said, my mom helped me book the trip. When all the sponsor dollars came in, I didn't have money for multiple houses. So I had everybody share rooms and everybody showed up. I was literally, I just turned 21. I bought, there's 20 people. So I bought a 24 pack of beer and they swung <laughs> open the fridge and they thought like, oh my gosh, like Elliot has no idea what he's doing. And then they went for their rooming assignments. I said, great. You know, I read about you and I read about you. So I put you guys together and you're going to be in this room. They're like, what do you want me to share a room with this person I never met? I was like, yes, yeah. you know, we're reading. And, you know, the first day was just, and the first hours were just deep, deep awkwardness. Um, sure. I think people wondering if they should leave, if they should stay. 
And then what started to happen is they started to meet the other people. And in that, those hours of meeting the other people, they thought, wow, these are really interesting people. And I am only 23, so I certainly don't mind sharing a room with other people. And I, wow, this is could be really good. And so we went out to dinner the first night. And there are really like two things that kind of got everyone through all the awkwardness. The first is that at the dinner, I booked this fancy restaurant and there's this table that we're all at this big table. And when I went to the bathroom, the founders of College Humor decided to play a prank on me. And they carried these heavy white laminated business cards, like heavy, you could feel the weight in your hand. It must be like $5 a card, you know, okay. level heavy, like you'd get in an investment bank if you went for a meeting or something. And the card said, your attire is not appropriate to the standards of the club, and we ask that you change immediately. And then under had a line, and it said management. And so when I went to the bathroom, they called over the maitre d', like the host at the restaurant. They said, when this kid comes back, just hand him the card and walk away. So awesome. I came back, and everyone was in on it. They said, take it very seriously. So the whole table now has this collective prank on me. And... I came back, I sat down, the maitre d' walked over, gave an award-winning performance, and they said, I'm so sorry, sir. And they handed the card in front of me, and everyone looked over and said, what was that? Like, what does the card say? And I read the card, your attire is not appropriate to the standards of the club, and we <laughs> ask that you change immediately, management. And I'm like, what the heck? And And then everyone just started piling on, like, wow, this is really serious. And like, you're going to probably get all of us kicked out. Like, yeah. why would you be so disrespectful? What like, were you thinking in that moment? Like, how are you feeling? Are you I freaking out? I started asking questions. Like, my shirt's the same as your shirt. And they're like, well, you can just look at my shirt. It's not the same. Like, mine is gray <laughs> and yours is white. Or my, like, I'm like, what do you, but I have a collared shirt and he has a t-shirt. It's, look, it's not always about a collar. It's It, it could be just, <laughs> it's not a nice quality. Like, have you, have you ever been to the, con film festival they'll kick people out because they have ripped jeans i'm like i've never been to the con film festival and it's like well maybe you're about to get kicked out of here like you need to go find a store to buy a new shirt i'm like it's 9 30 there are no stores like well then go get the car warmed up and we'll meet you outside in a couple hours amazing and so it was just like a, and then finally everyone burst into laughter and that really like blew the lid off right when you're when everyone is engaged in, you know, shared dynamic experiences. Mm -hmm. And then the second part, Mark, is just, we drove, just had to drive home and I had rented a big Suburban, however many people fit, like two in the front and then there's all the multiple rows. I don't know if it's nine or whatever the number is. And when you, I came out of Park City where the event was, it said no left turn, but there were no cars coming. And you could <laughs> literally see, it was just on a two lane road. Yeah. And to, you know, I just turned left at midnight. And as soon as I did, the siren came and I pulled over. And in that moment, like that long wait that we all know, yeah. when you get pulled over, everyone just started hounding me like, you're going to jail, your event's over, but it's fine because I'm going to take over the event. Don't worry. Just, K, hurry. Give me your mom's contact information. I'll coordinate the house <laughs> with her. You know, like, and I was like, guys, quiet, shut up. The cops, you know, and I think 
you know, and of course I got a, a ticket or a warning or whatever I got. And, you know, from that point on, it was just everyone's laughing and yeah. totally on the same flow. And look, the, you know, just to wrap this thread, the, sure. the main takeaway is, would it have been better to not do the event, to avoid the awkwardness, to avoid the embarrassment, to avoid all the no's, or would it have been, or was it better that I actually did it? And the answer is just so obvious. You know, the first step is taking the first step. Yeah. If you can kind of internalize and get through the sense of, you know, shame or embarrassment, it's almost always worth taking little risks with little downside. Like there wasn't a lot of downside. I got sponsors to cover it. Like worst case, I just wouldn't have done Summit ever again. And guess what? I had never done Summit before and yeah. I didn't know the people. So that's that was it, Mark. That's, that's such a good, I mean, I was, I mean, as I'm sure people are listening now, like that, that, that opens the book essentially. And like you're, you're hooked in and there's just so many stories like that in, you know, in their own kind of, you know, style and theme, but because, I mean, I think I, either I read this in the book or it's definitely in Alex's uh, book, The Third Door, mutual friend of ours in contact, where there's a quote in there uh, from you just saying, like, always bite off more than you can chew and you, something to the fact that you you figure out figure. how to chew later, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, which, I mean, that is, that is summit in, in a way like i mean it's not like you you guys knew how to charter a cruise ship and figure out like there's the whole there's a wi-fi scenario with that there's just so many unknowns and, and troubleshooting that that has to take place i guess the, the question i'd love to ask you since you put on quite a few events and you continue to you know disrupt thinking in this space like what what kind of questions are you and the team, like what are you guys asking or reflecting on when you're thinking of the next event? Like how do you get to that ideation and that dreaming almost for like making the impossible possible? I think our story, Mark, is a good one because it's very relatable, right? Like we were not tech geniuses. We yeah. didn't go to Ivy League schools. Uh, two of us didn't graduate from college. And putting on events, it just seems like something that, almost anybody can do. Um, like it just, and it makes sense how events get put on. And I think, you know, if, if we were to pause right now and just think about, you know, the products that we use and what, what was kind of obvious in retrospect, you know, was it obvious that, um, you know, the taxi industry would be revolutionized by Uber? Was it obvious that, you know, one big company like Zotica owns all of eyewear and that, you know, Warby Parker could come in and you could actually buy $95 glasses instead of spending 500. Yeah. Um, you can kind of like, was it obvious that like the soaps and detergents we use are like poorly branded and chemical laced and that yeah. there should be <laughs> like an eco <laughs> brand, like an eco brand, like method. Right. Yeah. And you can just go on and on and on. Is it, you know, obvious that, uh, you know, the bed sheets industry is a disaster and who wants to go to, you know, Bed Bath & Beyond and, you know, instead, you know, Bolin Branch came along and there's like, you know, the coolest, hippest, you know, all organic brand for the bedroom. These just go on forever, right? Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at events and business events, it's the same thing. Like, uh, you can just ask yourself, like, how is the experience of business events? What are these events like? And, you know, until, you know, 
you know, Summit started, like we ha- we had never heard of really fun, exciting business events, right? That yeah. cater to their audience. Um, there's a reason why like an older generation of first time social media users were on Facebook and then the next generation was on Instagram and the new generations never even used Instagram. They just went straight to TikTok, right? Yeah. Let alone use Facebook, right? Because these, these different products are built for different people. And so new subsets and demographics of people use those products. Gotcha. Um, right. When, there's a generation, I would say there's a generation of people who would never use a cleaning product other than an organic eco product. Like they've never even used some of these big brands that, you know, we grew up using. And so just the, the thread on the event is there were no fun business events. The event started at 8 a.m. They ended at 4 p.m. They were, you know, people talked at you from a stage. They yeah. were basically all men. There was no effort to have any diversity from socioeconomic gender, ethnicity. There was no music at night. And if it was, there was, it'd be some knockoff cover band, 80s knockoff cover band. Like there was like, you know, we are a music content arts festival. And our idea was if we want, this is the summit thesis. There's a new generation of entrepreneurs growing every day. Any person in the world can join this subset of people by becoming an entrepreneur and building something, joining a startup or within their company, be an entrepreneur. There's a generation of people ever, ever expanding. It is critical to build community and for those people to connect with each other. Where would those people like to connect? Do they want to go to some fancy hotel and eat, you know, you know, overpriced steak dinners and, you know, listen to people lecture them or do they want to go to an experience? Hmm. And Summit is built on the idea of reimagining what the business event can be. Love it. I mean, thanks for, for, for sharing those details. Hello, everyone. I first wanted to say thanks for being here, and I hope you're enjoying the show. I wanted to let you know if you're interested, I just launched the Better Questions newsletter designed to provide you with a consistent 15-minute opportunity to pause and think because a pause leads to clarity and operating with intention where we all win and thrive. The newsletter is short, simple, and practical, providing with three quality reflective prompts and mental fitness twice a month. But as always, I'll adjust the frequency based on your feedback. Never forget, at any point, you are always one question away from a completely different life or outcome. You can sign up over at BehindTheHuman.com, which will also give you a free preview of my debut book, Personal Socrates. BehindTheHuman.com. Now back to the show. I do. I'm. I'm going to stick with this, and because what I, you know, historically, absolutely, they're the business events for the most part sucked. Let's just put it frankly, right? I mean, they weren't the most fun. And like, hey, let's sign up. Let's go here. Now they don't suck. Largely part because of the work that you and the team are doing. Um, but like, I guess what I'd love to know is how do you, for you personally, and I mean, I, I know there's a team, but for you personally, how do you start? reimagining next year or you know you've got the you know you've got virgin coming up or or that cruise ship line and that whole that whole event like after that you know because you're putting on the gold standard essentially like what's the thought process or some of the questions that come up to be like okay well you know like what's what's next well our goal is to have a 
diverse offering of events because everybody's different. So, yeah. you know, over the years, you know, we've done small events for maybe a hundred people, 125 people at Powder Mountain, really family focused, deep in nature. You know, we've done our summit at sea events, which is a lot more music, a lot more late nights, a lot more rah, rah. Um, of course, you know, we have our summit themes and content and healthy living throughout everything. You know, we have our Palm Desert event this fall. It's a bit, you know, bit smaller than Summit at Sea. And, you know, the desert is a quiet place. It's more introspective. I think yeah. the music is is less rah-rah. And there's, you know, more deep vibes. You know, like we had an event in Tulum throughout the years uh, that we did until recently. And so I think the the different events allow for people to self-select into what sure. fits them, right? So even within the entrepreneurial ecosystem, we've tried to have different offerings. And now, for example, we have a, something we launched like a year and a half ago called Summit Jinto, which is the summit version of the forum. Like people yeah. have been getting together in forums for a long time. There's lots of forums. And we thought, hey, there's not really a forum that fits this entrepreneurial demographic. Like forums take three hours. They're always in the same city. Our community's traveling. They're moving. Um, forums are very expensive. Let's do one that's you know a third the price, 90 minutes once a month, and it's all virtual. And you can meet up at the summit events or meet up in person once or twice a year. And so, mm. you know, if someone events aren't for them, you know, Summit Junto could be for them. You yeah. know, if you know, so so we have tried to build this diverse offering, and then we just um, we try to build everything from the inside by asking ourselves. Are these sessions or artists, um, is this an experience we want to go to? Do we want to sit in this? What do we want? Who do we want to listen to, right? And so, you know, we're constantly asking our team, the whole team, you know, what content is most relevant and most exciting? Yeah. You know, what kind it. of speakers are interesting? So, you know, we think ourselves as of ourselves as like a music manager who's trying to sign, you know, the, or a, a record label trying to sign the next new artist. Except, you know, we're not signing anyone, of course. We're just trying to figure out who would be most interesting and appealing for our community to listen to, you know. Mm -hmm. And we really do focus on kind of who's up and coming versus people who are already famous for the most part. We do have, we do have some well-known people, but we really pride ourselves in kind of who's next. Yeah. I love that question because I think it's so relatable to so many different facets of life and, and, and also our professional lives and work and whatnot, just around the idea, like, is this experience or is this thing I'm working on, like something I would want to experience or use? Cause it's so fast. It's so easy to get, you know, fast forwarded into like, okay, everyone would like this, that, but just to take a quick pause and do a little reflection on like, well, wait a second, like what I actually like this, like, right. What, like, why are we doing this? It's just, I, I think it's just a great question to pause the autopilot that, that often starts up. Yeah. I mean, we did the same thing with our book. Like what kind of book do we want to read? Okay. We want a page turning, punchy, fun book that when you get to the end, you think that's it. It's already over. You know, yeah. we want every chapter to leave you hanging, feeling oh, what's about to happen in the next chapter. And we don't want a single slow part of the book because we know <laughs> that, that will have people <laughs> stop reading. So for us, the book was just about like cutting, 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 keeping it as punchy as possible. When we had the good stories, putting in more effort than we knew we had to find to, to make those stories alive with quotes and action. 
and yeah. you know recreate all the scenes. So I think in general we're we're always asking ourselves, you know, how can we make things better? How can we make things exciting? And yeah, is this a book we want to read? Or is this an event that we want to attend? Do I want to be in Summit Junto and do this forum, you know, every month for an hour and a half? Is it the thing that I most look forward to? Or is it, you know, is there something about it that's kind of wearing on me and I'm not going to continue? Yeah. You know, and so we're constantly, you know, iterating on the product. And I think the best entrepreneurs are obsessed with the product, mm -hmm. right? And all products, look, all products are living and breathing. And I think just a good takeaway is I think everybody accepts that for tech products. The iPhone needs to keep getting better. The cars need to keep getting better, right? The software needs to keep getting better. But often for physical products, you know, the companies are just less innovative. Like it's okay that events haven't changed. It's okay that, you know, baseball bats or tennis rackets or golf clubs are, you know, haven't changed. Yeah. Again, they have changed, but th there's generally more lag, right? There's less totally. of like a total focus on product, product, product. And so I think for events, that's something that we really think about. Yeah, it makes sense. It, it makes me think of, uh, I'm sure you know, um, the company and, and the founders, but of uh, Matteo from Eight Sleep. And he was on the show at one point and, and just made me pause for a second. And he's like, you know, in the space of mattresses, something that we spend, you know, a minimum or supposed to at least minimum of eight hours a day on, the actual product hasn't really been innovated on for a hundred years. It's like the same damn, like just lie, lie on this cushion type scenario for how long, right? And if it, it's funny because like, you don't think of these things until someone plants a seed in terms of the way that you're positioning this, right? Like, well, wait a second, can this be better? And the answer is usually yes, right? It's wild. Um, I'd love to ask you just back to the book. Is there is there a story in there that, or is there a story I should say that you wanted in there that didn't make the cut that you would love to share? So I'm sure there are a lot that uh, obviously just from a from a book capacity standpoint, you couldn't put everything in there. But is there one that that comes to mind? Yeah, there's a zillion. I mean, <laughs> I think that, you know, when we decided how to write the book, we decided that the most interesting, wild, you know, reckless, not that reckless, but just total, you know, audacious time was the first five years of Summit, kind of when I was, yeah. you know, 21 to 26 years old. And yeah. so we really focused on that. You know, the book, the book ends in 2013. And okay. so it, it's really like a classic book. It ends the day that we buy Powder Mountain, which is 10 years ago. And it's just action packed, right? Because we went from no connections, no relationships, no revenue, no business to, you know, building this events company, building the summit brand, building a team of dozens of people. And then ultimately at the end of the book, putting together this deal to buy and, you know, steward and own Powder Mountain Ski Resort. And so, you know, we, we really focused on, you know, that very early time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was a really good story we took, we took out of the book. Um, I was at the National Economic Club in Washington, D.C. Okay. And I was 22 years old. And this is like a very prestigious group. I, I don't know how many thousands of dollars a year it costs to pay in dues or if you can even get in. 
but I was trying to sell advertising for the newsletter business I started with my dad. And I was trying to drum up clients everywhere. And in fact, every night I would go to about five events for, you know, 45 minutes each, you know, six o'clock, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock. And then I would go, I would just sweep the event getting as many business cards as I could. I was like Casino Floor Elliot. Hi, Mark, <laughs> nice to meet you. How you doing? What are you working on? Great, I think, you know, I'd love to follow up with you over a lunch or a coffee. I think you may be really interested in advertising with our business. Like, I was just selling ads. You were the guy. Who, yeah, I was just selling ads to anyone who would listen. And so there's this, uh, there's this group called the National Economic Club, and every month they have a very, very prestigious speaker. Okay, it's like really famous. Uh, Bill Gates has spoke and Jeff Bezos. And there's all, the, the chairman is always really, really famous. I think the chairman's like David Rubenstein, okay. you know, the founder of the Carlyle Group, like one of the world's largest private equity funds. So I wrangle a ticket to the National Economic Club. And there's a thousand people in a really fancy hotel in Washington, D.C. Um, and, you know, it's like 50 rows back. And, you know, I, of course, I'm not content on just getting every single person's business card, but I have to sit near the front. So I get into like, you know, in the first 10 rows and, uh, um, David Rubenstein is interviewing Larry Summers, who at the time was running the national economic council. Okay. (laughs) Uh, for Obama. And this is like in 2008 or 2009 and like the economy's crashing and he's like the most important person in, on economic policy in America. And on stage is David Rubenstein and Larry Summers. And it was, this was when the stimulus was happening and, or, um, the bailout, excuse me, the bailout stimulus and people were really upset. And so about 20 minutes into their interview, protesters came onto the stage and it was just uh three protesters but i guess they had somehow also snuck in so maybe the people who basically wrangled their way to the economic club were me plus three protesters (laughs) yeah and they went onto the stage and they had this big banner and you know i think they were upset i i believe about the bailout of the auto companies right like these super profitable businesses Mm -hmm. that had taken all this money and dividends and for shareholders. And now they wanted the government, which is the people's money to save them. So I think that's what the protest was about. But anyway, these protesters, Mark, they came onto the stage and they started chanting, um, you know, you know, you won't save, you know, the automakers, you know, go back to where you came from. Kind of like, go away, go away, go away. (laughs) Kind of like, and they're like in this like rhythmic chant. Larry Summers, go away. You're not welcome here. Larry (laughs) Summers, go away. You're not welcome here. And like, there's this chanting uh, this. And I didn't know what the protest was about at the time. I had no idea. I I was 22. I didn't even understand economic policy. Um, I dropped out of college. And there's a thousand people in the room, Mark. Okay. And the banner, they, they walked out and they unfurled this big banner. It's like eight feet tall and like 20 feet wide, right? Like they walked up the stairs and one person goes first and they pull the banner wide and you can't even see Larry Summers and David Rubenstein. They're just behind. And for whatever reason, there was no security at the National Economic Club. 
Like you would Weird. think Larry Summers yeah. would have security or David <laughs> Rubenstein, or if they did, they were outside the door, but there was none. And this went on for like five seconds, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, and nobody did anything. And uh, we have this quote we think about, um, you know, chances aren't given, they're taken like interceptions. I can't like, wait to see where this is going. <laughs> and so I got I got out of my seat and I walked up to the stage in front of a thousand people. And I just walked up to the protesters and I said, all right, thank you guys so much. It's time to go. And they were assuming, I think the protesters had been there so long, they were assuming I was security. Because it was there's no violence. It was just a, a yeah. there's no issue with the protest. They made their point. A thousand business leaders saw what they wanted to say. Um, they made their point in the stimulus and then they were ready to go. And I walked on and said, all right, it's time to go. Let's head out. And, um, you know, I had been trying Mark for months to connect with David Rubenstein and Larry Summers, you know, maybe Larry did, uh, David Rubenstein wanted to buy advertising. Maybe Larry Summers wanted to be my friend. So I shuffled them off. And in that moment, I'm shuffling them off. The crowd is to the right and to the left is Larry Summers' is David Rubenstein. And I look back, I make eye contact with Larry Summers first. I give him a wink. I make contact with David Rubenstein next. Say, you're welcome. See you around. And I walk the protesters off. So thus began my improbable friendship and connection with both of them. Because the next time that I saw them, I said, hey, Larry, you remember, because I was going to all these events. Okay. So instead of I'm a nobody, the next time I saw him, hey, Larry, I was at the National Economic Club. I was the one who took the protesters off. Remember, I gave you a wink. How are you? Oh, my gosh, Elliot, <laughs> come on in. Full hugs. I once crashed, in a, uh, not crashed, but I got invited to play a tennis pro-am in the Hamptons. I'd never been to the Hamptons, but I figured I could get some advertising clients. And it was like 25 of like the wealthiest, most successful people I've ever been around. And Larry Summers was there. And they said, all right, let's pair everyone up for doubles. And in, I mean, I'm telling you, I'm like 22 with no connections, no resource. In front of everyone, Larry goes, I'm going to take Elliot Bisnow to be my partner. <laughs> I love it. You know, one day, yeah. um, and I'll just wrap this story. A few sure. years later, David Rubenstein, I got an email from his assistant. She said, David Rubenstein would love you to come meet with him at his office at 10 a.m. tomorrow. And my God, I didn't even graduate from college. I, I, what, why could yeah. he possibly, he owns the, the Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence. Why could he possibly want me to come to his office? Wow. Okay, I put on my suit and tie, go into his office, said, Elliot, you know, I was thinking, you're entrepreneurial. You've obviously learned a lot. You, you came up, you, you saved, saved us at the event. You know, I have a young son. I would love you to connect with him. He could really go, you know, stand to learn from a young man like yourself. I said, that's it. He said, that's it. I said, all right, great. Well, the meeting's half an hour. So let's use the other 29 minutes and chat. I got a bunch of questions. Sure. But I think and advertising. That whole, <laughs> you want to buy some ads? <laughs> but I think that whole story and all that silliness yeah. how, uh, is like very indicative of uh, my life and kind of my entrepreneurial qualities and what would have happened if I hadn't taken that chance to stand up? I never would have met those two people. Yeah. And what was the worst thing that could happen? Really nothing. Um, I don't know that protesters wouldn't have left or sure. I mean, there was no downside. So 
You asked for a story that wasn't in the book. That's and, awesome. Uh, I don't know if I've ever shared that story with anyone, but I, I don't think I have. So I hope you love it. <laughs> oh, so it was so good. And I mean, it just, it connects for me, at least at kind of a through line, at least of, of what I've been experiencing of, of your life and the way you operate and whatnot. And it's just this idea of like authentic connection, right? And because you, that, that's the other thing that is, is really so I, something I hope you're proud of, because I mean, I feel it and I'm sure others do, but like you, you're connected with some of the, the most inspirational humans on the planet, people that you would, you know, all these other humans want to get to know and so forth. But it, you don't strike me like there's no ego there with those connections. It's like you're actually connecting with the human on the other side. And it seems like, you know, it's not like this timeline thing, like, oh yeah, I want to meet here and we're just going to jam in some sort of opportunity. Like you let things play out. Right. Is that is is that true or am I like <laughs> are you Yeah, gonna... it's definitely it's okay. totally true. I mean, it's, I think at the beginning I was definitely very transaction focused. You know, I was sure. Cino Flor Elliott. You need yeah. watches, you need this, what do you want to buy? I got ads, you know. Um and but I was always having a lot of fun. I was always yeah. enjoying the process. And I think as I learned over the years, um, you know, the most important thing is just, you know, go on a learning safari, you know, go enjoy, see where each connection leads, because every connection can be exponential. And I think I've really not made any effort for many, many years to have, you know, what they call a cherished outcome. You know, uh, don't, don't have, uh, I try to not, especially definitely not with relationships of where a relationship would go, would go, you yeah. know, I just try to be as friendly to every imaginable person as I can. I try to be as memorable and eccentric and out there and different and um, just build relationships with everybody. And through all the random relationships, you know, so many random great things happen that you would, that I would just never expect. And yeah, uh, yeah like I said at the beginning, I just, in general, I just try to have fun. I'm very, very grateful for everything. <laughs> I'm pretty humorous. I, uh, I'm just having, uh, I just really enjoy the whole process. I'm not at all driven by results or outcomes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's okay to set goals of, you know, dreams you have, but I'm, um, it's not good to be somebody who's just focused on the, you know, if I hit the goal or not, like yeah. you set your goals, but then you just have the best time trying to, you know, create everything. Hey, you're living the journey. I mean, everyone says this and it always sounds cliche, but I mean, really, I mean, that's what it is. Like if you can, if you can soak up, you know, joy and happiness and, and learn and grow and, and have a good time right in the present. I mean, like what, there's no downside there, right? Like I, it's, yeah. Yeah. There, there's a, just, there's a really short, a shorter, very short, funny story, but it's, it's in the book. But when I was, when I dropped out of college, I really wanted to fit in. And, and I, I was so embarrassed. I dropped out of college. Um, <laughs> I wore a suit and tie every single day. I thought nobody would respect me. And I would just, I would, they say, where'd you go to college? I'd say, I went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison. They're like, what year did you finish? Did you graduate? I'd say, oh, I, uh, I finished in 2006. You know, like I, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't say it's, graduate. And yeah, I started I in 2005. That, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I went to this meeting to sell someone ads as I did. And, um, they, the, the meeting was over, uh, like a lunch at the Palm restaurant or, okay. 
is this fancy restaurant in Tyson's Corner, Virginia. And I got, and I literally had a suit, like a dark suit and white shirt and a tie. And the guy, I sit down and he says, Elliot, you got to take that jacket off. <laughs> like, okay. And he's like, can you take the tie off? Okay. Unbutton the top two buttons. Okay. Can you roll up your sleeves? Okay. He orders two beers and like a thing of cheesy fries. He's like, you're not authentic. Like, I don't want to talk to like the, you know, sales guy who's just trying to like get me for a buck. He said, you seem awesome. You draw, it sounds like you dropped out of school. You're an entrepreneur. You know, I'm an entrepreneur. I built my own business. You know, he was like 60 years old, sure. 50 years old. He's like, keep your sleeves rolled up and just tell me about school and dropping out and what you're building and what your dreams are. And he goes, at the end, in the last 10 minutes, you can tell me what you want to sell me. <laughs> so we just had this like, this is like the first time ever in my life after all these years, I'd had just like an authentic conversation. Yeah. And I was like, and he, you know, we got along great. And at the end said, all right, what do you want to sell me? I said, well, I thought your company could benefit from this at this price. He said, how about that price? I said, how about we tweak it like this? He said, it's done. Great. I'll send you a check tomorrow. Let's go. We're going to be doing business for a long, long time. What and a I think I had, yeah. I had a lot of those experiences that I internalized and like, I really took to my heart and I started to evolve and I started to grow up and our book and like, it really is a coming of age story, right? Yeah. I really was like that. And by listening to people and, you know, we have a, you know, chapter title when, when, when you know how to listen, everyone is a guru. Mm -hmm. You know, this was just a random lunch in Tyson's corner in Northern Virginia. Right. But it's like these little lessons. Like I really listened. I wasn't offended. I didn't say, who's this guy to tell me how to drive. I thought, you know, he's right. So yeah. I'm going to change. <laughs> love it. I love it. Well, last question for you, sir. I mean, I'd love to just, I'd love to just know, you know, for you, like where, where's that place where you have like mental bliss? It's like when you're sitting back and you're like, damn, life is, life is pretty amazing. Like, what are you doing? What's the surrounding? What, what's that for you? Well, one of the realizations everyone needs to, needs to have is, you know, it's very easy to be the you know, the Zen master or the Buddha when you're on vacation or on the mountaintop or after you close a deal. And of course, the real art is, you know, how are you and your kid wakes you up in the middle of the night or when everything's going wrong or it's the toughest times your business. Are you moody and grumpy and uh, tough to be around? Or do you keep that humor and that positive energy and that spirit? It has to be authentic, but do you keep it in those times? Yeah. You know, do you embrace the tough times for what they are? And, you know, there's something about my personality that I've always, I've always had awareness of that. And, you know, I'm not, I, I've never been waiting for anything. I'm not waiting for a result to, well, now go do this fun thing or, you know, I have to be a certain level of success before I can mentor someone. Like I've been, you know, mentoring younger people for as long as I can remember. As soon as I learned the first thing, I was like, ah, I better, oh my gosh, this crazy secret about, <laughs> I don't have to wear a suit and tie anymore. I can just be authentic. I, I got to call these three people and tell them this secret. This is crazy. Yeah. You know, so I think, you know, for me, I'm always trying to find that within, you know, the life and experience that I'm having. And, 
you know, I have a pretty energetic out there personality that can be, it can be a bit up and down. And so I started meditating, uh, probably like 10 years ago and that definitely rewired my entire brain. Yeah. So I'm definitely not up and down anymore. Right. I was more like an early twenties thing. Um, and then I read a lot of books, you know, I think that's why like one of the biggest things is, you know, every single night, if I can, I, I basically every night I just, I decompress and I, I read yeah. for, you know, half an hour to two hours, depending on how good and page turning the book is. Oh. Um, so I definitely, you pressure's know, like, on. Cause I know you've got mine waiting for you. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I cannot wait to read your book. It's, it's literally sitting. I cannot wait. As soon as I'm back in Utah at Powder Mountain, I'm, I'm going to read it, but yeah, just trying to do all those things every day, cooking all the simple pleasures and, yeah. um, yeah, your work is not, your who def what defines you it's not your whole life yeah. um so yeah that's amazing. who i am amazing well full circle to the opening question of, of who you are actually you know that kind of fun uh energetic human but mixed with creating you know time for some stillness of the mind and the present and, and whatnot um man it's it's been so nice i mean i i, I really really value you going out there, putting your story out, doing all the work that, that you lead in, in this world and making the time to be on the show. And of course, you know, to, to borrow some language from another mutual friend of ours, Ben Nimton, but the ripple effect of everything that, that you and the team has started and, and have con and continue to put out there just affects so many, so many, so many people in such a great way that um, a huge thanks for that. Yeah, of course. I appreciate it. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs>